Ozil. Lacazette. Ozil! Arsenal are walking in a winter wonderland. What a turnaround! He's come up with it. The Scorpion touch. Olivier Giroud. When you saw Mkhitaryan do it, he said we'd never see it again. And welcome to the Canon Crested Arsenal podcast. It's one of those momentous days in, in, in Arsenal history. Or then again, my short Arsenal history, if you want to put it that way. Um, I went to bed last night and um, I actually went to bed watching the game because I slept off at about the 60th minutes into it, just after they scored the second goal, and I couldn't, I couldn't finish the game. I it wasn't conscious, but I just, my body just gave up because it was really, really late where I was and or where I am currently, and I just couldn't finish the game. I was tired from work and all, so slept off. And uh, I was going to record a podcast today with uh, Bisola and to discuss. Um, what the future will be for Arsenal in the short term with respect to appraising the signings that we had made and if the because I completely we had given up on the manager and and the current setup so it was it was going to be a discussion on if there were going to be any additions in the in the next January transfer window that could give the that could correct anything on my Emery um wanted to achieve with uh, the squad this season because I, I, I pretty much had given up. Um, I, I thought it wasn't going to last till um, it was going to last till the end of the season um, since he hadn't been fired already. He, really. So that, that was the mentality. That's how, that's the, that was what I was preparing for with respect to this podcast and boom, well, I, I saw the message from David Ornstein uh, via The Athletic that the club were already having a meeting and they were going to announce his departure, which is really, really um, strange. It's, it's strange in a way that um, I'm not used to an Arsenal manager being like sacked because again, for many or for some of us, uh, we only know really knew Asen Wenger as, as the manager of Arsenal and his departure even though uh, uh, we, we sort of expected it at some point but they came as a club announcement and it wasn't an immediate departure the fact that uh, he had games to play um, there was a whole ceremony the whole mercy Arsene ceremony around his departure it became a very elongated tribute to him Somewhat, and at the end, uh, that was, uh, it was it was a very fine ceremony to put an end to to a legend's departure from the club. So this is pretty much the first time that I'm experiencing that I wake up to I sleep and there's a national manager. I wake up and pretty much he's gone, and it's gone in just a statement. So it was sort of shocking, uh, and the the variance between. I think the variance between his departure and Asen's departure from a perspective of a fan who only knows, who has only really watched two Arsenal coaches, is that it, with Unai Unai, you could see that it was coming. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't the same glorious departure or glorious ceremony that, that, um, that Wenger had. Uh, Unai's, Unai was like a, a trajectory of failure that kept coming 
day after day, week after week, and he was mounting up until the fact that he was, it came to a point where it was just obvious that he had to go because everything wasn't wasn't working. So that's where we are today. And so pretty much I switched the conversation. I had to switch the conversation that I initially planned to have. And we're going to have one that's focused on um, Unai and Yunberg and where we think the club should go from here. And I'm not having that conversation alone. I'm having it with um, Bisala. Bisala is on Twitter as at hot underscore red she's one of the most extremely extremely passionate um and if she's extremely passionate she's like 10 times extremely opinionated arsenal fans that you will find on on twitter and i just felt uh, it was it was good, good to have this conversation with her because despite her opinions you you can easily tell um, that she actually does love the club and she knows about the club and she knows football so it was a good time to have this is the first time i'm speaking to her as well so i guess it's a it's the same journey for all of us and uh so we're just going to take a look at uh what what her thoughts are with respect to the current occurrences at arsenal and where she thinks that uh, we can go from here so uh let's get this on the call then Okay, hi, Bisola. Hey, Simon, how are you? Good, I'm good. How are you doing? Uh, it's, uh, it's great to speak to you. It's great to speak to you. I've followed you for a few years. Um, we haven't actually spoken to each other before, so this is this is a good experience. Yeah, same here, man. Like, um, it's it's such it's such fun, you know, like getting to know people on Twitter, and you kind of feel like your friends. You kind of feel like you know them already, but you know you haven't really going through the traditional route of like meeting them in person or talking to them at all so yeah uh it's a good experience and uh good to talk to you yeah let's see how this goes when i tweeted that uh, i was going to speak to you like pretty much my timeline just went um <laughs> ablaze because um aside the fact that i'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing what do you think <laughs> my gosh well you know what i don't know if it's a good or a bad thing i mean to be honest um you know today is um i think it's a reflection of real life you, you there's some people that absolutely are on the same page with you and then there are others that are simply not and there's uh yes. yeah um but i mean as not twitter is fun that's why i'm always on it 24 7 so yeah let's see let's see how the podcast goes oh, hopefully it goes well <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, and then thank you for thank you. And exactly. Hopefully, I meet up with you know like any expectations that have been set based on my tweets and stuff. So yeah. Oh, trust me, they are high because I got a couple of DMs and they're like, oh, like I really want to hear what she has to say. She talks a lot. Let's see whether she can answer. Like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, great. But okay, just just before we go into the whole um, pod pod itself, um, just to clarify, Bisela has a um has a cold right so um she's coughing and uh if you hear any of that it's, it's just part of the whole thing she's here so let's just let's just have the conversation so it's, it's yeah just a conversation yeah. Different, so. a little bit different so yeah oh, oh my Ooh, your voice your voice is different yeah i think because from the cough oh okay all right good all right it's all good. Um, so let's go. Uh, so the first, the most important question to that's happening today, um, when I Emery got sacked, but really, how don't you like chicken breasts? 
I don't I'm get sorry. it. Like, <laughs> like seriously. No, I'm going to say we were having a conversation like, um, how is it that the most important thing to me right now is, how is that anybody who is in this world doesn't enjoy chicken breasts? Like, they're the best part of chicken. Oh my God. So you no, really disappointed me when you said you didn't like chicken breasts. No, it's the worst part of chicken. Like, I literally can't stand it. And I, I could throw it away, to be honest. I can't eat it. It's, Why? It's awful. It's boneless. If it's very slim, you can actually enjoy everything you put in it. I'm a pure Nigerian. I love my bones, man. Like, I would, I would literally crack my bone till there's nothing left. So I like, I love chicken wings. Chicken wings is my favorite part of chicken. Um, and yeah, but breasts, no way. It's too dry. It's, it, it's not tasty at all. It is. So, so, like I said on Twitter, like I said, like I'm, I'm going to everybody, like what that's the best part of chicken. What you do is you take it, you marinate it, right? When you marinate it properly, put it in the Ziploc, put it in, uh, leave it for four hours, then fry it with honey and butter. Four minutes, both sides. It's beautiful. Did oh, what is not beautiful? <laughs> it, it is, it is, it's beautiful. You should try it. Okay, well, okay. maybe I'll try it and uh, let, and give it some feedback. But for now, chicken breast is a no-no. Chicken wings all day. All day. <laughs> no. Okay. So that's our first point of difference already. Let's see how many differences we will have. So everybody's here to hear your poor opinion on, on, on Amre. You're not his biggest fan. It's public knowledge already that you're not his biggest fan. And um, so basically, I, when I woke up this morning and, and watched the game. Did you watch the game yesterday, though? The game against... Um, uh, Frankfurt. Frankfurt. Did you finish the game? Did you watch it? I, well, did. I didn't finish the game. <clears throat> I didn't finish the game. And then when I saw the results at the end, I just instantly just like, oh my God, we lost. Like it's so routine now that it, it seems orchestrated. You know, you get that feeling like these people actually um, don't want to put in the work to, to, to get to win anymore. And, and that's the feeling I got when I saw the results. So when you when you when you watch the game, what did you get out of it? Because I didn't watch it um, enough to have any comments on it. So you know, when I watched the game, the first half, I think, you know, for as many games as I can remember, we actually created quite a number of chances. You know, and that mm. was not something that we were used to in um, in Unai Emery's teams. Um, mm. But you know, I think. The where the turning point was well was um David Lewis leaving, um getting mm. injured and leaving. I I don't know, I don't have the injury update uh from him. Mm. Um and then Gwendozi came on and um kind of like we 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 kind of held on until halftime and then after halftime it just seemed like Frank either the Frankfurt players just raised their level and our midfield just melted away. Like it just seemed for a first half where Frankfurt could hardly muster a shot on target, you know, they just started mm. getting past our midfield, you know, started, you know, taking shots and, you know, um, Emmy Martinez was called into action quite a number of times. Um, mm. it, it wasn't pretty to watch and none of the, none of the substitutions worked. Um, Ozil didn't make an impact. Um, mm. I'm, I'm not exactly sure um, why the youngsters were brought in at the end to try and, you know, um, you know, basically save, save, uh, save the game. But 
I don't, it was it was a strange thing. I, I don't. I personally don't want to believe that we have players who would down tools, but that was the general consensus on Twitter. Like everyone thinks, you know, maybe the players literally did not want to win this game just so that the club would be forced to make a decision. Um, yeah. It was a strange game. No, seriously, it was a strange game because we we went literally from controlling that game to not being able to control the game in any way, shape or form. And we started taking shots and two went in, two one. Yeah, it's, it's kind of really strange because the Europa League used to be, at least, used to be an escape from the torture that was the Premier League Absolutely. and in the last three games. So so it, it tends to the fact that the, like, the players sort of, so it lends credence to the idea that the players sort of have given up because the Europa League used to be really good. Then we played the home game against um, the Victoria, where we were down. I think I can't remember the exact details of the game, but we struggled in that game. We we ended up winning four two. Then we travelled and we drew there, I think, and then now we've lost at home to Frankfurt. So even the Europa League that used to be the um, used to be the 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 other way to have fun watching Arsenal, watching on the Emirates team because okay. it was a younger team. That's gone. That's gone as well. I agree. I mean, it was... I think the board should not have let it come this far. And um, mm. it, it just seemed like the players had given up yesterday. There, was, there wasn't any mm. other way to describe it. It was strange watching that match. And I think um, it was clear for everyone that this was going to happen. What what has happened in the last few hours was going to happen today. So, yeah. Okay. So okay. So let's just. Um, what do you think? So he's gone now. Um, it's now Jumberg era interim interim manager. But let's just take a look. So this this side, this uh, first section of the of the podcast. Let's just take a look at at, at Unai Emery. What what do you think was the core reason why he struggled? Why why do you think he struggled? Well, you know, um, we talk about the honor off pitch struggles, right? Because I yeah. think it was, a, it was a combination of everything um, yeah. on the pitch and off the pitch. Uh, he came into a situation that was not pretty. Uh, the team was not balanced. Um, yeah. There was shake up in the, in, the, in the boardroom. And so we looked to Emery as the one, I would say, um, the steadying force, right? The steadying hand that would help guide us yeah. through uh, a period of turmoil, right? Especially after losing our, our CEO in Gazidis, right? Mm. But unfortunately, yeah. you know, the kind of um, issues that he had with the players, mm. um, personally mm. and um, tactically, um, were part of the mm. reason why you know he he his message was lost in trans in translation right and i'm i'm not talking about yeah. the language barrier here i'm just talking about him yeah. him not him, you know like it's when you're going from a manager who was all attacking who did not care much for um preparing against certain opponents and just wants us to play our way to a manager who mm. is complete opposite, like on the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, it's a mm. culture shock for the players. Um, yes, we expect mm. them to be professional, we expect them to be able to to be malleable, you know, to be able to fit into anything, mm. 
is brought into uh, into the um, that any challenge that is brought to them, right? But mm. him having those issues off the pitch with certain players, alienating certain players, um, getting you know um, decisions, either delaying the decisions like the captain decisions, um, mm. and having to to change tactics every single game, you know, it was it was really hard mm. for, for the players to to take in all that information at once. And I think that's part of the reasons why, you know, he may have uh, he may have struggled, right? It's it's not just the on pitch, but also the off pitch issues uh, could have led to him struggling. Yeah, I, 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 you make a very important point when you you make that um, relation be, be between the off pitch and the the on pitch um, issues because when you when he was recruited, like you say, um, there was a lot of boardroom shifts and um, you didn't mention it, but um, Sven Mislintat also um, left the club. Um, Darren Borges also left left the club as well, and then these were people who had input as to recruitment. Had input as to the uh, the philosophy of the of the the club, who had also input as to fitness of the players, and these were all people that these are people that left, and um, and Una had to 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 carry on by 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 himself. So, but it just showed how much trust and how much belief that uh, Raúl had in him that pretty much he was working to ensure that everything Unai wanted to succeed, he had. Um, but it's easy to look at um, Unai's struggles now from the perspective of the fact that he just lost um, a game against uh, um, Frankfurt and hasn't won in the last seven games. But if you take Unai Emery's tenure in, 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 in totality, he had the 22-game unbeaten run. He took us to a European final. We sort of forget that. He took us to the European final last season, and then he, he couldn't get us past it. His main objective was to qualify us for the Champions League, and he failed in that regard. How much do you think the, the fact that he failed in his first season affected the mentality, the, his, the way he, the mentality that he, he came into this season with that has made us struggle? How much do you think that affected him? Okay. Um... Let's see, you know, when we when we look at um, Unai's first season, on paper it didn't seem that bad, but watching it and looking at the underlying matrix, it was not very good, mm. either, right? Um, you mentioned the 20 yeah. Yeah. and some of those games, I remember watching them, you know, we, we barely escaped through the skin of our teeth. We had Cardiff who had not scored, mm. and they scored two against us. You know, we, we had teams who... You know, whose strikers that were on goal drought and were starting to score against us, we were conceding shots, you know, but, you know, we managed to overcome them thanks to Obama Young at the time over um, outperforming his XG numbers and he was just banging in the yeah. goals, right? So we, we, yeah. we, I think we glossed over the, the issues that we're having, you know, we papered over the cracks, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I feel like also that. Unai's um, target was either to definitely to qualify us for the Champions League, however way. Um, but I, I think the, the the club did prioritize Europa based on what 
you know, based on how he he managed the team last season, you could see that he was um, he was starting he was starting the very strongest of teams in even in the group stages last last year. Um, and yeah, yeah. you know, said it's a good point. We made it to the European uh, Europa League final. We made we had you know our first European final since um, since our Champions League um, final. Um, but I also think that mm. us not reaching a Europa League final is a natural cause of a natural cause to happen. We were one of the strongest teams in Europa, and in Europe generally, we've always been a team that had we tend to beat those we're supposed to beat, and we fall okay. your sides. I mean, if you remember the season before that, you know we were coasting mm. in the in the Europa, and we you know we stopped at Atletico Madrid. That's a team that was so strong, although it came down from the Champions League and we fell to them at the at the first hurdle, right? So I believe that yeah. we, we've yeah. managed to... The fact that we went one step further this um, this last season, I don't think it was more... It had more to do with, you know, Unai being that great. I think it's, it's just the fact that the teams we met, we were just that much better than them. We had much better firepower. And the minute we came up against a team that could match us you know i mean you, i mean we don't want to talk about the europa league final but you know how that turned out right yeah you know and, <laughs> yeah exactly. yeah it was it's so embarrassing like i really don't like to to remember that day i still have the 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 match recorded i haven't watched it again but maybe one day i'll, I'll get i'll get some courage to to re-watch that match it was it was an awful Why day would- why would anyone, anyone want to do that? <laughs> to do that to themselves? I just, I don't know. We were so close, right? Like, that was our first title since, you know, European title yeah. since the Cup Winners Cup, no? And um, yeah. it was, okay, you know what? Let's yeah, I think final. <laughs> let's not go there. Yeah, but I think, I think, I think you, make it, you make a good point as well that, that the underlying metrics... It papered over the cracks, and then the underlying metrics were wrong. And um, because if you look at the last five games of last season as well, we only had to win one, I think, to get us yeah. into the Champions League, and we managed yeah. to 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 lose or either lose or draw, and we we we, we dropped it to to Spurs. So the underlying metrics were wrong. The club obviously knew this. The club has its own data machine in there, and they know what they know how to, to churn those numbers and 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 come oh. up with what what the underlying oh. issues were. So I, I feel like, you know, you, you have a good point there, right? Like the club knows what's going on, right? They have this data, they have the statistics. Why did they stick with yeah. Unai, right? I feel like the reason why yeah. they stuck with Unai was because he may have felt hard done by by the club, not giving him mm. the players he requested for, right? Yeah, and in general, yeah. Said, yes, you know, so and they must have said, you know what, Unai, we're going to give you more players, you know, just get us to get us to a, a, another final, win us a, a, um, a cup, a European Cup title, right? Yeah. So I feel like that's one of the mm. reasons why they faced with him and they decided, you know what, we're going to spend this summer, right? Maybe he mm. didn't get the player he wanted because I, I, I don't know, I, I have a feeling that he would have preferred Zaha to Pepe. But yeah. Yeah, um, I, I think that's one of the reasons why the club stood by him, given his um, his his uh, his record in the Europa League. 
and um, they thought mm. this, this this man could get us over the line this year. Unfortunately, it didn't turn out that mm. way. Um, but yeah, um, I, I it's uh, it's it's not clear what happened after the Crystal Palace home home game last season, because I feel like mm. ever since then we haven't fully recovered from that match. Like we've just been, I don't know how many games we've, how many Premier League games we've won since then. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, it's it's a, it's it's a really appalling number because yeah. I did that whole graphic thing then and said whether we we had gotten 26. I said when we were 10 games into this season, I think we had gotten 26 out of a possible 60 points. So it was really bad. It was yeah. really bad. Yeah. yeah. So so um I just just uh, because. I just read Adrian Clark's um, tweet now. I don't know if you've read it. He um, Clark, obviously everybody loves Adrian Clark. And he goes, um, this was the right call from Arsenal. The team's tactical structure, defensive organization, confidence, and attacking identity were all in a prolonged period of deterioration. This is someone that works inside the club and does match, match analysis every week saying that it was in a pro so he's saying prolonged period of deterioration so obviously that speaks to the fact that some people inside the club knew that for a very long time the numbers were going down yep. the stats were showing a different thing but uh, just to segue into um, uh, a question that i asked on twitter earlier today in preparation for this podcast like uh, i asked uh, who do you think is most responsible for the current situation um, that we find ourselves in and the results actually surprised me. Because when I put it out, I thought I would have a clear on Emery, but 25% uh, uh, of people said Raul Sanlehi, um, 31 Unai Emery, 40% the Cronkies, and 5% the players. Uh, that's 258 people had voted as at the time I'm reading this. So 40% of people blame the Cronkies, 31 Unai Emre and 25% Raul Sinelli. Aside the, I, I don't think um, I don't think we can we should even focus on the fact that the Cronkies have the highest number. But the fact that it's sort of split between the three people, um, the three segments that I put in the in the in the in the question shows you that the problems at the club seem to be a lot more deeper than the manager. What do you think? Um, Simon, I think you're absolutely correct. Um, the mm. problem that Arsenal is was way beyond goes way beyond Unai Emery, um, mm. and I think it literally it started from um, Usmanov getting some shares in the company. <laughs> you don't want to go, but you don't want to go oh, that no. far, <laughs> really. <laughs> the reason why, <laughs> the reason why I, I, I mentioned that right was because I feel like it had a statement. <laughs> And between the two largest shareholders, and not one yes. wanted to make a decision on how to mm. move forward because one wanted the other to to let go of their shares, right? And it feels like yeah. maybe if if the, the 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 more successful the club it becomes, you know, the harder it will be for some one of them to let go of their shares, right? And mm. then you know, um, Arsene Wenger was just allowed to you know, do whatever he was doing, get getting us top four every season. And that rolled on and on and on and on. And then we had Gazidis come on board. Gazidis, you know, not seeing eye to eye with Arsene. Um, mm. 
the the um, the owner clearly uh, favoring um, Arsene Wenger. So Gazidis, what does he do? Instead of him to either go out and you know get another job or make something happen at the club, he sits down and folds his hands, waiting, playing the waiting game, right? And so yeah. much that should have been spent were not spent. They were kept in the bank. Now they don't they don't have any value because the the market just just got overinflated. So you know all mm-hmm. of this inaction, I would say, you know what I mean, yeah. was yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. these the club seems to be sleeping. Right, we're taking so long to make the simplest mm-hmm. of decisions. Right, be it. Okay, it was clear Aston should not have been re, re, uh, renewed in 2017. But guess what they did? Yeah. They renewed him. Why? Because mm. they were not ready for life after Aston, right? And even when we uh, we eventually got him out, like as we as um, rumors would have it, like 50% of the board wanted him out, 50% still wanted him in. You know, eventually he left mm. the club. And what happens immediately afterwards? The CEO goes out the door with him. I mean, like, what's going on at this point? You know? And with no direction, with nobody setting the agenda for where Arsenal is going to be in the next, in the short to short, medium to long term, you know, this is what we have today. Like, you look at Una Emery's CV, right? And then you say, how did he manage to get a job at Arsenal? Because he's the direct opposite of the type of coach that we need at the club. Yeah, but exactly. So, so you consider the club's philosophy, you consider the players currently playing there, right? I mean, it's it was just mm. not marriage made in heaven. And so you're wondering who's making these decisions? Why is Una here in the first place? Okay, he was not, he's, he's here now. Um, he's starting to struggle. Why did we let him struggle until top four is literally beyond us because I don't see how we're going to make up those numbers. It could happen. Maybe there, there'll be a huge collapse somewhere in um, in London, the blue side of London, and, you know, they go on a spiral. But, you know, it's um, it's hard to see us making up that, that number and, and, and uh, make, getting into the top four. So it's it's a level of indecisiveness that is, you know, is is, is the reason why we're here today. And it's, it's coming from the top mm-hmm. down. I, I don't see how Emery is, um, is responsible, to be honest. I don't see how he's ultimate. So that poll, I think, got his spot on. I, I think I, I voted for Stan Kroenke um, in your poll. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask how you voted. Uh, but if this is happening in a season where he actually did spend money or authorized the club to spend money, mm-hmm. he authorized the club to spend money, um, he's communicating more, Josh is in a lot more games. Josh mm-hmm. is, is having a lot more interaction with with um, with fans, with people in, within the club. So why do they still get the blame? They've appointed the, the problem was they've appointed a footballing structure that should take decisions within the club. So why should they still get some blame? Yes, historically they should, but within the context of this particular wow. season. They've done okay. everything within their power at least to support the manager. No, I so mean, that's the perspective you know, I, from. I mean, um, Simon, I, I do agree with you to some to an extent. You know, this summer was when, mm. and this is their first summer as the um, the sole owners, right? Sole owners. Yeah, so, yeah. 
you know, they they did spend some money. We've been asking them to, you know, for the last I don't know how many years. Um, and mm. you know, yes, and that's why a lot of fans went to the, into the season with such high optimism. Um, yeah. And thought, you know what? The least we can do is finish top four. With that, I, mm. I didn't cross my mind that we we're not going to make top four going into the season, given how much we've we've, we've spent and how much change has taking place within the, the management organization. But guess what? Mm. The results started going stale and bad for Unai after the first international break. Yeah, because we won the first two games, I think. Yeah, then the break happened. <laughs> and then the break happened. And mm. there was no indication it was going to get better. So why yeah. we let the results roll on up until late November when we are, are now getting into the toughest run of the season to change this coach. Mm. But it doesn't fill me with confidence that we have the guys up there who really know what they're doing, right? I mean, so, when you're hearing so David you? Austin reporting that um, Raul wanted to give Unai an extension on his deal, you know, um, you're, you're hearing us being linked to um, super uh, AM customers, or I'm sorry, um, agents, uh, super yeah. agents, you know, people who have super yeah. agents and super agents, um, manage, managers who have super agents, you know, then you're starting to think, are we doing what's best for Arsenal or are we doing what's best for someone somewhere, right? And mm. maybe it's it's coming from the number of years where Arsene has shunned the super agents and it's just made us as a, a group of fans very skeptical about them. And so when you hear, mm. oh, this super agent is proposing this person or, you know, Rahul is talking to this super agent for this guy, there's, there's a link with um, Nuno and there's a link with Jose at the time where the rumors was, was ongoing. Um, mm. that, I mean, it, it gives me you know, pause for concern, right? But maybe it's yeah. just because I've spent years with Arsene shunning these guys and thinking that, you know, they're the worst thing to happen to football. But, I mean, I'm, the, the, the club, is the, the, the management of the club, they've, um, they started, they had a good summer, but it does not mm. end there, right? Their responsibility does not yeah. end there. It's, it goes yeah. far on that. And the minute... The we the uh, the rut started after the first international break. They should have been right on, you know, with a plan on how to um, how to replace Unai should things get very bad. And they should have done that much sooner so that we could have had the opportunity to get maximum points from our easy easy run of games. Now those easy run of mm -hmm. games is almost over, and now we're going to the mm -hmm. hard of games. I don't know, man. Like, why do it now? Why wait this long? And I'm just not confident, right? And the names that were being linked to, they're, they're so obvious, right? They're, they're obvious names. <laughs> Is the plan to... Yeah, I mean, when you're hearing Allegri's name tossed, tossed around, you know, you're hearing um, um, which other managers being linked to us. Um, no, no. No, 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 no. But, no, it's not obvious, but I'm talking about like you know these big managers, um, 
Carlo and 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 oh, Celotti. is going around, like, yeah. Maybe maybe people are just making up stories, but these names don't fill me up with you know any any confidence, right? We need to go in a different direction. We decided, as, and yeah, I, 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 I respected that decision to go with someone who was steady, who was um, not exciting, but maybe could hold this group together. But it hasn't worked, so we may as well try something else, something fresh. Yeah, I, I, I had I had I had that that question um, somewhere at the end of the podcast where we're going to talk about what the future is, and I think we'll address that point you made. Yeah, but um, so do, do you think that? Um, that when you just looked at uh, Una Emery now, which players do you think um, will be most affected by his departure? I read uh, Emi Martinez's um, tweet. It felt somewhat awkward to me because he's not like he's a first team player. And then <laughs> it seemed awkward to me as well. I read David Luiz's um, Instagram um, post as well, where he, he took responsibility and says the players need to take responsibility for what happened. Um, Emi, Emi Martinez's tweet as well. Um, expressed it that it was the players' fault that this had happened. Both of them acknowledged the fact that uh, uh, Unai Emery is a hard worker, but uh, the results weren't just coming. So, so um, do you think that who do you think will be most affected by his departure? Are you there? Hello. Oh, I was on mute. Sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. That happens a lot. Um, who, who does it happen? Who does it happen to on the Arsenal Vision podcast? I think it's a person like Paul that happens to a lot there. Who who does, who's always on mute? I don't know. Oh, it's Clyde. It's Clyde. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. So I was asking, who do you think will be affected the most by his departure? I think all of the players will be affected, but they will be affected positively. <laughs> I don't oh, think no. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, I, I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean in yeah. a way that I, I'm not sure, apart from, let's say, our central defenders and our fullbacks, yeah. mm. I'm not sure any of the players in that squad have been played in positions that best highlights their strengths and hides their weaknesses, right? And so I mm. feel like all of the players will be affected, but in a positive way. But if I were to take a mm. guess on who may miss him the most, I think it will be mm. undoubtedly his favorite, Gwendozi. Oh, <laughs> the, the teacher's pet. Gwendozi, yeah. right? Yeah, I think so as yeah. well. I think Gwendozi will be, will, Gwendozi might miss him the most because, yeah. um, and I think Gwendozi is actually very, is one of our bright lights at Arsenal, but um, I think he's, he's overused or giving too much responsibility. I think he's one of those, two, in my, my opinion, I think he's a too much responsibility bit. And um, I would expect that the next coach uh, puts some structure to how he plays and how he's been managed. Um, so uh, just before we close out on the Una Emery bit and look forward to um, Jumberg, um, just a few more questions I'll ask you quickly. Do you think Unai Emery was able to embody what it meant to coach Arsenal? Because um, when I talk when I talk to Moamali uh, a lot about things like this, uh, Mo, Mo just tells me, you, you seem to forget that Arsenal, this is, this is the new Arsenal, Arsenal has changed and things like that. But Arsenal means, I Arsenal love means something. 
What did you say? I love Mo. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I love him as well. Well, so but Arsenal means something to me that that uh, I really struggle to explain it sometimes because it's it's more I it's it's a way of life kind of relationship, right? Yeah. So. So do you think that he was able to, why I think he struggled was because he wasn't able to embody what Arsenal really was. The fact that we were, were a club that uh, we, we rely on youth, we were a club that had a particular style of play, were a club that we're imposing with our, with our mentality. Even when we were George Graham, right? Even as George Graham, and I didn't watch George, but I read about him. And he was someone that would would focus on the defense. He gave us the best defenders we've had at Arsenal. And it was a mentality at the time that that's what we were doing. So we went to Arsenal and it was attacking. This is what we were doing. And then we've gone to Unai and we don't know what we're good at. So he he did his struggle to embody himself in what Arsenal, maybe he didn't really get what Arsenal as a football club was. What do you think? Okay. Or is, right? Um, on Unai embodying you know, what it is to be uh, to be at Arsenal, right? Or a coach at Arsenal. I think he unfortunately had big shoes to fill in the yeah. personality department because Arsenal was yeah. such a personality and um, he yeah. was very charismatic and Unai was, was none of those things, right? So he kind of struggled mm -hmm. that regard and the fans kind of struggled to... Um, to bond with him, right? Because I mean, like, yeah. just, you know, I used to like want to look. I used to look forward to the post post press conference notes, and after a while, yeah. I, I I just had to stop because I did not understand a word. Like, I didn't even understand the points he was trying to make, right? And so for us, man, yeah. it was very difficult for us to to bond with him, right? And I think on a personal note, as on a personal level, as someone who loves Mesut Ozil, you know, it made it even more <sighs> difficult for me to bond with Una Emery as a coach, right? Even though at first I mm. kind of understood why he was doing that um, with Mesut, but um, I, it got to a point where it just seemed very personal, right? And um, mm. and um, his decisions were, were kind of, puzzling, you know, to say the least. But when we're looking at um, Arsenal on, from the football side of things, where we're talking about relying on youth, um, style of play, and looking at our home form, right? Um, let's start with let's yeah. youth. I think when I did his best to incorporate the youth, yeah. um, and I, I thought it was a laudable effort for him to bring on, to bring in um, Bukayo Saka, for example, and as soon as this boy came yeah. to the team and started playing well, he started games for us. Like, he started Premier League games. And that's what you want to see. You want to see, you know, efforts rewarded. You want to see form, good form rewarded as well, right? Um, but mm -hmm. I think the downside of things with him when it comes to dealing with youth is that he was really quick to haul them mm -hmm. off ceremoniously whenever they were not playing well, right? Yeah. And that, and then the comments he makes after the games, and yeah, yeah, exactly, right. So things like that could affect the confidence of um, of young players, right? And um, mm. for me, that that I, I'm not, I don't know if that style of management suits young players um, these days, right? They they want someone who 
is more warm, you know, who's got warmth and, you know, can take them under their wings and coach them. And it's something like what um, Freddie was doing with, with um, Bukayo and the rest of them, right? I mean, you remember Freddie getting off to get a yellow card when Bukayo was booked for diving. Yeah. What I mean, you know, so those are yeah. things you want to see, you okay. know, like Bukayo would have felt, oh, wow, you know, this guy, you know, took a he risk. He knows me, he's defending me. Yeah. He's defending me, right? So, um, I think on that regard, and also Unai's stay at Arsenal. Did he really? And there's a question for me that still remains valid, right? Is did Unai really prioritize youth, or was his hand forced? Exactly. No. So that's that's the thing. You. I was just going to end with that as well because the fact that Jumberg was drafted into the into the into the team. It seemed yeah. like his hand was forced in that regard as well. So, yeah. uh, okay, so, so, we, so we can do it. Um, Unai has not had a history of bringing through youth, uh, a big history, I would say. He's worked with young players yeah. who blossomed, but I'm, I mean, talking about players coming from the academy. Um, mm. But I think he did his best, and I'm sure Bukayo and um, Joe Willock would be really grateful to him yeah. for how he's um, he's kicked off their their career, right? And on style of play, you yeah. know, um, when I play, paid too much attention to the opponent, right? He never set us up to um, set us up to play to our, our absolute best. Pretty much, yeah. manage the team like a fantasy league, you know, where you plug and play. You know, plug and play. You just pick a player, drop them in one position, pick the next player, drop them in the other position, mm. expecting the players to flourish. Mm. You know, I guess that's why he always preferred generalists, like people who are not exactly, you know, uh, specialists in a particular skill set, right? They have like maybe they're about 60% in all types of skill sets, as opposed to one yeah. player who's like 80 or 90%, 90 all in a particular skill set, and maybe. It's just kind of average in every other one, right? So because I, yeah. I, I think that's really one of the reasons why, if you look at Gwendozi, and that's always a conversation, right? Is he a DM? Is he a CM mm. attacking? He's just he's a generalist. You know, he's the yeah. essential Unai Emery player. Because you never know what he's really, really best at in terms of, like, you know, what he's going to be elite at, right? You know he has a high yeah. He's still getting there. But I think Unai yeah. was trying to build him up to be able to do everything in that midfield so that he can say, all right, I need you, um, Gwendozi, I need you today to, you know, to play a CM role, you know, or I want yeah. you to play wide right in a, in a, um, at the tip of the diamond, or I want you to play at the base of the diamond, you know, so that he can just move him anywhere he wants to and um, the player would be able to give him that level of performance that he was looking for. And that is definitely yeah. not Arsenal style of play, right? Um, we and we don't even have those players to play the game that um, Unai wants to play. Um, and um, it, it was just something that the fans couldn't get behind. And I know that the fans mm. did get behind it when the results were were coming in. So he kept saying, you know, don't look at the performance. Look at the table. We're third on the table. We're one point behind yeah. Man City. You know, so long as the results come in. Maybe we can justify the the style of play that is like so boring or you know does not have a, a an a, an identity. 
But the minute mm. the results started, you know, fading out, it was very, it, it was almost impossible for anyone to defend um, why Onai should remain on the job. So yeah. Yeah, I, th I think I think I think you did a great job answering that question. And in, in, in the in the with respect to that that those final comments you made, I've, I've always it's hard to explain this in a tweet, um, but. My my take on when we were doing supposedly well and ignoring the numbers is is it, it, it's this it's like this. If you send your child to a school where the competition for that child is not elite, your child starts to succeed, right? And then you can fall into this um, trap of thinking that your child is elite. If you then take your child to an elite school where people now are now at the, the top of the, the cream of the crop, they yeah. start to struggle. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. So if you ignore, if you ignore underlying metrics, you can only ignore it for <clears throat> you can only ignore it for a certain amount of time. So if you if you if you allow shots against Newcastle, yes, you'll win the game because they don't have elite strikers. If you allow shots against Aston Villa, you will win the game because they don't have elite strikers. But if you take that same mentality to Leicester City, obviously you're going to get slaughtered. If you take it to Liverpool, you're going to get slaughtered there. So if the, 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 the where, where Unai now feels is that there are now a lot of places where if you take a non-elite mentality to, you will get slaughtered because the Premiership is a very competitive league. And I don't think... Um, so, so when people say ignore the numbers and then focus on the results, you can do that for a certain amount of time. But it will, the numbers will show in the end. And that's what we saw last season. And that's what we're seeing um, now. Um, just to close on this section on, on, on Iamri, so we can have some time to talk about Jumberg as well, uh, who is the future, I hope, is is what do you think is the role of communication in, in coaching? Because it looks like, to me, communicating was the biggest reason, or communication was the biggest failure for Unaimri. Communicating to the club, communicating to the fans, communicating to the players. It seemed to have, it seemed to struggle. So I think this whole Una Emery episode um, has um, lent credence to the fact that uh, if your communication is one of the biggest trends that the coach has. As like a project manager, basically what you do is 80% communicate your ideas. And if you can't do that, then you're going to struggle. So... It takes us into the Yumbek um, conversation. So, what, how how important do you think communication is? So, um, I think communication is very important, but I'm not sure that the fact that Unai Emery could not, what did not have a good grasp of English, was the problem here. I don't think. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't think it's. I don't think it's an English thing. Yeah. Sometimes communication is not just verbal, but it's also in your actions. Mm. Right. There have been successful managers who have needed translators to communicate with their teams. Right. And it's 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 worked perfectly. Yeah. Um, they've not had mm -hmm. issues. Um, but I, I feel like Onai's problems went beyond the language barrier. And um, I think it's mm -hmm. just it's got to do with how how he dealt with the players that he didn't care for. And mm -hmm. his um, his words about meritocracy. Right. Mm -hmm shot with players that he really liked because he mm. didn't apply his meritocracy on like players that he didn't really care for the minute they make a mistake he hauls them off 
right? You know, they, yeah. they're out of the team, in and out of the team. They're not good enough to make the team. But then again, on the other hand, he has players that he does like a lot who sometimes mm. justify getting picked and they get picked regardless. So now, what are you telling us, right? You're telling us, you know, you have people who are not good enough to make the team, but you, then you have people who you say are good enough to make the team that, you know, week in, week out, they're not performing to the standards. And so you're wondering, why are you not switching things up, right? Like, why do the mm. really, you know, um, play every week when you say, you know, your system is a meritocracy? So it, it's, it, it seems yeah. to contradict itself. And that sends the wrong messages to, to all the players, right? And we're not even talking about changing tactics every 45 minutes, right? Like, mm. we ha I don't know how many games we went on the trot with just a single, a, a single formation, right? We either, we either uh. had a formation change at the start of a game, or we had a formation, formation change during the game, or we had mm. a, a formation change, you know, one-third, into the game, right? So I think him him not being able to communicate with us as fans, you know, communicate his ideas and his thoughts, it's one thing. But another thing is being able to communicate his his tactics to the players, right? And that's where mm -hmm. I think he really failed. And if if the lang English language was the problem, he should have gotten a translator on that ground, right? Tell yeah. what he wants, yeah. but when you don't have a conviction of what type of formation I'm going to play with week in, week out, that in itself is communicating panic, it's communicating indecision, it's communicating fear to the players without even you saying a word, mm. right? And you, yeah. I don't know if you remember I, when I, completely agree, yeah. I don't know if you remember when um, Arsene just changed to the back three. The first three games we played in that battery, it was mm. it was hot in our in our mouths. Like it was so scary because the players did not know how to space themselves, when to go forward, when to come backward. Like it was almost a total disaster, right? But we kept at it, right? We we kept going with the back three every game. And guess what we did at the end of that season? We beat um, yeah. champions in an FA Cup final. So I wish Unai had stuck to his formation, maximum two two formations, and had his players play those formations week in, week out. As a minimum, mm. automation would have kicked in, even though the, the player is not like at yeah. the level that you want, right? When you're doing something over and mm. over again, it becomes a habit. But we have players all yeah. over the pitch not even having chemistry with one another. Like you would expect your, your wing backs mm. and your full no, you expect your wing backs or full backs to have a good relationship with their wingers or their inside forwards. We don't have that. You can't mm. even have two people that play yeah. very well together, right? Or you expect to have your CM and your attacking midfielder passing to each other and outpassing people in the middle of the pack. We don't have that, right? Yeah. Even even the, the much touted um, attacking duo of um, Obama Yang and Lacazette, you know, how many times do they even yeah. pass to each other in a game? Mm. Yeah, it's not like in, I mean, if you remember the teams of the old where we had like even most recently, um, Ozil and and Alexis, like and um, and, and Sanchez, 
exactly right in within the game yeah. the, 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 the pass combinations were usually were the highest but today we have the highest pass yeah. combination you know with our center backs and um um Chambers getting the highest part. Left back. It didn't yeah. even make like yesterday. Oh my god, I just remembered. Um, yesterday we had Tierney, who is an elite striker, um, sorry, crosser of the ball, and we were attacking yeah. through chambers. Like it literally did not make any sense. Tierney did not even get mm. much like out after the halfway line, he just stayed because we were yeah. Us attacking through Chambers' wings, and I'm like, why are we going through Chambers' wings when we have Tierney, who's a better user of the ball, better crosser of the ball in the final third? So, like, Chambers kept, like, I mean, bless his heart, you know, he tries, the, the effort is all there, but, you know, the final ball yeah. was really missing yesterday, you know, so let it him down, yeah. broke Which down is... with him on the right, and I'm like, Tierney's on the left, why are we not using that? So, those are things that seem a little bit upside down with Unai's teams. So now I don't know if the players were down tooling as it's been suggested, but, you know, we've seen this far too often and in Unai's uh, reign, at uh, 18-month reign, to think that maybe this problem was just the problem of today, right? Because lots of players were not yeah. in their correct positions with Unai. Yeah. Yeah, so you you've pretty much I think that's a good place to 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 close the to close the conversation on on Emery really because the the whole formation constant formation changes so your training formation and your training personnel it just confuses everybody and and so like like the exam I didn't watch the game yet um, yesterday uh, enough to to have spotted the chambers thing again like I, I said I, I slept halfway but. Just listening to you talk about it, it, it it's I watched the Adrian Clark um, video. It's a complete um, um, opposite of what happened in the game against uh, uh, Pudibu played the Premier League. Um, our last game in the Premier League, where goodness, how can I forget? These games are not memorable anyway. So, but we're playing on the left, right? It was Kearney, who Southampton. Southampton, exactly, yeah, Southampton, yeah. So it was that game was we were heavily tilted towards the left because Ozil and Tierney and then Martinelli and Aubameyang all were hugging that 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 end of the pitch. We're going to the next game and then it's Chambers who is doing all the crossing. So it just lends further credence to the point that you've made about the constant changes and everything gets lost lost in in is in translation. This communication gets lost and man, man management is also an issue. That he had, so um, I guess at this point we just wish him the best in his future endeavors. So, so and we, uh, we can. Before we move on, um, can you yeah. can you um, on a scale of one to ten rate his uh, tenure at Arsenal? Three and a half. Oh my that... God! I'm, even me, I'm not going to be that bad. Come on, three and a half. No, but really, okay. So if you if on if you, if let's let's did he meet his objective? No. So no. that takes off five points already. Oh, so wow. that, that means it's, there's there's a structure to it. Did you meet objective? No, he didn't get us to the Champions League. So five points is out. Did we become a better attacking side? Uh, maybe last season we scored a lot of goals. Uh, so I, I give him the the three from there. Did we become a better defending side? No, we didn't. Did we have any structure? 
No, we didn't. Was there identity? No. Did we enjoy what we were watching? No. Did we enjoy communication? No. So where am I giving them the other points from, really? So it's a three and a half for me, to be honest. Yeah, we got to the finals, but like you said, I didn't think, I, like I told Mo as well, I have a lot of conversations about with Mo, I told Mo as well that the Europa League is a, is a competition where you only have to play two good teams to win it. Yep. Because you don't play anybody who's reasonably good until you get to the semifinals. So you you beat that person and then you you go to the so for instance if we had if we had gone past Atletico Madrid hundred percent we win that final two seasons ago I, I think we would have won it so the, the so that we got to the final of Europa League yes but really the only good team we played was um, Napoli and then and then um, we went and we lost to Chelsea anyways how would you rate him what would you rate him you know what? I was going to rate him higher than that, like literally average. Oh. But now I haven't listened to you, and I'm like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. I think I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm like, 3.5 is it? Like, really? He's, 3.5, um, yeah. 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 No, I was good. Okay, okay, great. Yeah, but you know, yeah. You're going to go with what before? What were you going to go with? Yeah. I was, that's why I said I was going to rate him as a five. But when you put the, the fact that oh. we really did not qualify for Champions League, which was the main goal, you know, so you really exactly. take off five points from there. And then you think about all the other problems we had. And once you start deducting, mm. you're, you're, you're closer to three and a half than you are to five. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right so it was great so that that ends um the first section we went i think we've got like 50 minutes wow oh my god i didn't visit that we're going to talk this let's let's wish unai good luck in his future endeavors and uh hopefully he doesn't uh take up a europa league team and beat us in the europa league <laughs> Oh, I'm sure that yeah, that's true. So maybe he maybe he should just go on sabbatical, clear his head for like six months. We get yep. into the Champions League, then he takes up one of the Europa League clubs and then goes on from there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, great, great, great. So quick break and then we'll talk about um Freddie Jungberg. Okay. All right. I'll let you know when it's okay. So it started. Right, so welcome back. Um, we're going to talk about Freddie Jungberg now. Uh, he's the he's been appointed interim manager of the of the club. Uh, he's a legend. He's an invincible. He's also a supermodel, from what I've noticed from your Twitter handle. You seem to be more interested. <laughs> you seem to be more interested in his physical attributes. At least for now, that is coaching <laughs> attributes. I mean, we got right. from football. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I've been seeing a lot, of, a lot of conversation around his physical attributes, but it, it's good. It's all good, though. It's good to have a, a nice face to look at on the bench. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, there's a, who, who do you think will benefit the most from, from Jungberg coming into the team from, from a player's perspective? Um, let's see. From the youth team, maybe Button. He's probably going to bring Button back into the first team. 
And um, no, no, I, did, I didn't get the name. Sorry, I didn't get the name. Who, who did you talk about? Richard Barton. Oh, okay, yeah. He's an academy academy player. Okay. Yeah. He's, uh, so he's close to the first team. He he played a couple. I think he played one game for us um, early in the Europa League. I think. Or was it the okay. uh, Carling Cup? Carabao. Sorry, Carabao Cup. Sorry, yeah. Robbie Button. Robbie Button. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he's a yeah. central midfielder, and I think Freddie really likes him. So he's probably gonna mm. get bump up into the into the first team. Um, but when we're talking about mm. um, the first team, let me see which player do I think. I mean, I think the obvious, right, is Bukayo Saka. And, um, yeah. and I hope, you know, Freddie turns him into, uh, into, into uh, a very, very good player for us. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, Sarah, uh, when, you know, we... Many players would, would benefit most from Freddie. Yeah, you know, when uh, in preparing for this podcast, we, we weren't going to talk about Una Emery's departure. That wasn't on the script, right? What we're going to talk about was um, the players that we had signed this season. And I had a question for you there that I think um, lends to the to your current uh, to your the statement you made about Bukayo Saka. So Bukayo Saka has a relationship with Freddie Jumberg, right? But right. we also see Martinelli Martinelli play very well from from the left. But Bukayo has a relationship with the manager, and I'm not, I don't know if there's any relationship now between Martinelli and and Jumberg. Um, and I also know that you 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 think that Martinelli should have more in more uh, responsibility with the first team. So how do you balance that? That we have a young prospect who is on the left side that has a relationship with the manager, and we have one of the best young stars in Europe now, I think I can call Martinelli that, on who, who, who is really good play from there as well. Um, and both of them are young, and we have a manager that that prioritizes, that no, that that has worked with young talent, I can bring out the best in them. How do you think Jumberg is going to deal with that? Man, it's a, it's a, it's a very good headache to have, right? Because you're yeah, about young, exciting talents, and um, mm. I mean, it, it makes me feel sad, and I that you know they both play on the left side. I, I wish we had one play on the right side so that we can watch the both of them you know flourish together. Um, but mm. I, I think the fact that Martinelli's uh, background, um, even though he mm. does come up from the left side more often, he's he's played all across the front three. So and yeah. from of the, the Europa League games, he he has played as a striker, and he hasn't looked mm. phased at all, right? So I feel like yeah. his, I'm not sure his development will be too hindered by Bukayo's. I think they can grow mm. together. And um, we've seen uh, Martinelli deployed on the right side um, more often um, in the recent weeks. And so maybe yeah. look at that for the for the cup competition that maybe coming as a sub, uh, Martinelli co- coming from the right and eventually, you know, we'll turn him into a striker, right? Um, mm. I mean, there's there's everything to gain from there, and I think Freddie has got a good headache, and he's uh, for now he looks like the right man for the job. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. I, I just wish I hope both of them both of them flourish. Just to go back to you to to Jungberg, there's a temptation that um, he's like if you read if you read we read his um, his initial statement um, on Twitter today. He's going. It's a rallying call that um, well we we need to start playing for for the shirts. Um, David Austin's um, um, post on the Athletic as well said that uh, that was what. Uh, um, Jumberg had like a 10-minute conversation after the players were informed of Emery's departure, reminding them of what it what it means to play for Arsenal and they should raise their heads up and things like that. So there's a tendency because he's he's an Arsenal man, um, he works with youth, um, that he could go the motivational route to get these players to play better than they currently are. But from a tactical perspective, what do you think Jumberg would need to implement immediately that can improve the side from a tactical perspective? Have you gone on mute again? Oh, yes. Hello? I <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you got the question, so, right? Um, I think... From a tactical standpoint, what do I think Jonberg needs to implement? Um, first of all, yeah, immediately release the handbrake as the um, <laughs> of and let just let yeah. them play. You know, um, it seems as simple as just playing the players in their best positions. Like we we don't yeah. want to see um unless we want to play a pressing game i don't want to see um Torera acting as a pressing agent in the number 10 position i want to see Torera mm. in position at the base of the midfield right mm. i see um uh, proper full backs thank all the um, bellerina and um Tierney are, are back in action i think something that we didn't touch upon in the first section was how injuries affected yeah. Unai's reign, right? So I, I think I'm I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna have to acknowledge that, right? Um, no managers okay. should have should have to deal with the number of injuries, long term injuries at that that Unai had to deal mm -hmm. with, and it was yeah. I, that really affected his performance. So, so does that take him to a four? I'm sorry. So, so does that take him from a three point five to a four? Yes, I think so. I think so because we have to like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. long-term injuries to like holding, Chelny, um, holding, Bellerin, even Chani came in injured. So I mean, uh, yeah. it's it's quite a lot for a manager to have to deal with, right? So yeah, yeah let's give him a four for that. <laughs> Uh, okay. So okay. back to your earlier point. So yeah. back, back to my earlier point, right? Um, let's let's make sure the players play in the best position. Um, we need to define mm. first of all what formation we're playing. Is it um, from what I um, I've read about Youngberg's time in the academy, he's played mm. most four three three or four two three one. So let's yeah. get you know let's let's not shoehorn anyone. There's a big decision for. Mm. Um, Jumberg to to make and that's the striker's decision um, because mm. personally I've always felt that um, that's one of the reasons why um, we've been we've not looked as good since after our 22 unbeaten run because mm. 
during that run, if you remember, we had only one striker on the pitch. And then yeah, it was just it was just Obama, yeah. Yes. No, initially at the beginning of the run, Obama was on the bench. Like I said, was mm. and then in midway through the run, Obama started um starting the games, right? And then like mm -hmm. I said, dropped to the bench. And I feel like we can work out a system where both strikers are happy. Yes, they're not gonna be fully happy, but their bodies and they would understand why it, they're taking each other's playing time. Um, ha we don't have the mm. players the, who are strong enough to play two-man midfield, which will be reduced to just because we're playing um, two strikers up front. So that's, that's mm. my view. Um, it will hurt to see one of them drop to the bench for sure, but if we want to gain, gain any semblance of balance, and um, mm. get into a groove, that, that's likely what we're going to have to do, right? Go with a 4 2 3 1. Yeah. Um, you know, and then in, in, um, in, in games where it's deemed necessary, you know, go to a 4 3 3, right? Uh, a yeah. 4 3 3 definitely will see Ozil on the bench. Uh, mm. Hey, I mean, he's got to take one for the team um, at, at certain points. <laughs> So, I mean, so long as there's a proof, you know, that your tactics are working, nobody cares, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, I remember um, at the beginning when we're talking about, oh, you know, um, some players don't know how to press, you know, so that's why they're mm -hmm. out of the team. And then the team stops pressing and we're like, okay, you know, what's going on? So, um, Jumberg, first of all, has to not be Unai. And not being Unai, mm. having a fixed um, style and a fixed formation and uh, a way of playing, right? As long as it mm. has, the players will be given the freedom to express themselves. Put the players in the positions where their weaknesses are not exposed and we can maximize on their strengths. We're not asking Jaka to mm. be a single pivot in, uh, in the midfield when he's not athletic enough, right? We're mm. going to have Torreira do that because Torreira is athletic enough. You know, so just things like that, right? If we're going to play a single pivot, going to play a double pivot, you know, let's have, that's, that's the only way you can use um, Jaka in that, in that um, central midfield, right? Somebody close to him mm. who is um, going to, you know, tackle and give him the ball and he can, he can build play from there. You know, so just those are examples, right, of what we can do you know, to get mm. the players to play in their best positions and give them the license to express themselves, especially at home, right? Um, this yeah. is literally gone, so it's really got nothing to lose. Let's go for it. Yeah, I completely agree, especially at home, because um, that's where you... Playing and winning at home gives you the base for what you can do away. That's not the way I, I see it. Because if you, if you don't do well at home, there's a tendency that the doubt, the amount of doubt that creeps into your game and when you go away from home is increased because you basically, you, you, you're not even good good um, where you should be good. I like your point about the 4-2-3-1. And so if you're going to play that 4-2-3-1, the big conversation around Lacazette and Obama Yang is really who plays on the left because Obama Yang then has to go to the, to the left and Lacazette stays in the center. So if you're going to play 4-2-3-1 and your preference seems to be for Obama Yang or... Obama Yang to, to be the one, right? Yeah. So who would you play on the left? Bukayo or Martinelli? Pick one. 
I should pick one. <laughs> okay, so let me see. For me, I look at relationships, right, that I've developed. I think Bukayo yeah. has a very good relationship with um, Obama Yang on the field. Yeah, I agree. Very well. I agree. But we have Martinelli and um, uh, who's our left back's name again? Oh my gosh, I'm so bad. Tierney. yes. So we have Martinelli and Tierney who have a very good relationship as well. Right. So yeah. I, I think it's it's you can't lose. Uh, but maybe if it was left to me and I have Obama Yang starting, I will have Bukayo next to him. But if I had yeah. starting, I would have Martinelli next to him because Martinelli is that kind of winger that can do the combination play with with um, Lacazette and run ahead of Lacazette. Yeah you know, to score um, almost like a support striker, right? So I, I feel mm, yeah. those, those two will gel more um, as a partnership. And um, so we'll have Martinelli and um, Lacazette, then um, Bukayo Saka and uh, Obama Young. That, yeah. That's how yeah, that, that. But, you know, I don't know. Youngberg is the, the man for the job. So let's, let's see. And we're going to support him, whatever. Um, he chooses to do. Yeah, I agree. I agree, I agree with you on that. So, um, uh, the, the thing is, if, if communication was uh, was uh, Una Emery's uh, major weakness, um, reportedly it seems to be a strength that Jumberg has. Uh, I, I just I was reading um, different reports uh, about Jumberg when I go when I heard the announcement, and there was a statement made by Juncker. He says. Um, Jungberg is highly motivated and he's really interested in individual development of, of players. He also, so I was reading another comment made by uh, Cohen, Cohen Bramel on, on Jungberg. He says, I've worked with Asen Wenger, I worked with Unai Emery, um, I've worked with big coaches, and for me, Arsene and Freddie are the best ones that I've had. Um, Freddie worked with me on my body shape, my first touch. Going forward, he wanted me to shoot more. He would take time to show me techniques, how to shoot properly using the outside of my foot, for example, with crosses. He showed me that you don't have to whip it. He, he, he showed me how to pick someone. It was always constructive um, criticism. That's what uh, Cohen Bramel said about Jungberg. Um, uh, um, yeah, about, yeah, about Freddie as well. Yeah, so, so you, you, see, you see there's, there's this whole... Thing about he communicates well with the players. Bukayo Saka also said it that uh, when he wanted to get instructions, he, he goes to the Jungberg because um, Unai basically wouldn't talk to them. So Jungberg seems to be someone who focuses a lot on uh, individuals and training them to optimize their abilities, while uh, um, Unai Emery seems to be somebody that focuses on the system that the individuals play in. So this is a complete shift again for these yeah. players from someone who's who's from 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 a from a from a system perspective to an to someone who works with you to actually enhance how you play. So how do you think that um, this transition is going to affect the dressing room, especially given the the the, the size of the players we have in people like Obama Young in Lacazette? In Zaka, in Ozil, these players who have big mentalities and uh, they are going to be working with a young manager. How do you think he's going to manage that? 
So I feel that, um, I mean, you definitely made the, the good point. Um, the fact that, you know, Freddie seemed to have a very special relationship with the young players, you know, and they trust him more. Um, but, you know, that is all well and good when you are not the head coach. Now you are the head coach, you know, you're, you're not going to have that much one-on-one -on -one time with these players. You're, you're managing a bigger group. And like you said, you're ma managing bigger personalities. Um, but the one difference between Unai and Jomberg is that Jomberg has been a big player. He has been a big personality himself. So I think he will be more equipped um, in that regard to, to, to understand at least where some of these players come from, um, are coming from whenever they have, you know, issues or, you know, how to, or knowing how to manage them, right? Because he was a big personality himself. Yeah. And he played yeah, he was. filled with um, big personalities. So I'm sure he's seen mm. how Arsen navigated. And um, I mean, I, I can only wish him the best, but, you know, and I can only project onto him what I hope would happen. But I, 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 I would imagine mm. that he... He would have seen how Unai failed and he would go the complete mm. opposite direction. Let me just put it that way, right? So now yeah, what yeah, I agree. dealing with Obama Young, Ozil, you know, Lacazette, um, he's just, I, I feel like as players, as an ex-player who has achieved what he has achieved, I think the players would naturally respond to him. I would naturally give him that respect mm. that he deserves, right? Um, mm. The thing that yeah, so, so, sort of, sort of the way the way Zidane. Go ahead. Uh, sorry, so I was going to say the way the way Zidane had that effect when he came into Madrid in the first time. Exactly. So now just to him here. Exactly. I mean, what what are the guys going to tell him that they've done that you know Freddie hasn't done himself? Right, so they know he has been there. Yeah, they, right. He knows the experience, right? And he'll be more empathetic to towards how they are feeling. So this is my my hope, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I believe that that would be the case, given you know what we've heard so far about how he deals with the young players. Um, mm -hmm. But like I said earlier, regarding the striker situation, he's got to know how to manage that, right? Will he yeah. one of Obra or Laka on the bench? You know, um, if he decides to play 4-3-3, what is he going to do about the Ozil situation? You know, mm. um, what is the club? I mean, because I know that the strategy, for example, with Ozil was, I mean, Unai told us that the strategy was was from the club, right? He has the back and mm. yeah. Yeah. push him out, right? So is, is Freddie going to continue with that? Is, because if he does, mm. he's going to create uh, more tension within the group and we're just going to be back to square one so i think yeah what freddie all freddie needs to do is you know know how to manage the players in such a way that it doesn't raise an eyebrow when he drops him right mm. as as needed right coming on some games you know dropping the next coming on some game but how you do it is what's important right um i mean yeah. Everyone is just willing this audio drama to, you know, to um, to come to an end, right? Whether it's he, he being, yeah. he leaving the club or, you know, he having a good relationship with whoever is the manager. Um, 
at mm. least until he is right because it's such a distracting thing yeah. and it, it the fact that he's so loved uh, amongst the, some fans and um within the group of players as well you know would have a, a negative she just said he's so loved by me <laughs> you know i'm also the biggest fan in the world man like yeah, oh <laughs> it's so lovely watching him play, you know. And I get, I, I got some of that feeling of watching him play when I was watching uh, Nicola Pepin. So I have high hopes mm. for that regard. But you know, um, yeah. yeah, I think much as I love Ozil, you know, I, I try sometimes to step back from my bias. Um, um, you do? I try. Yes, I do. <laughs> 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 It may not be that obvious, but I, do I, I said I was like, look, if pushing this player out is what the club wants to do, at least do it in a respectful manner. That that was my own yeah. whole situation, right? I mean, it's all well and good to quote what Pep did to Yaya Toure and all of that, but you have to understand that Ooh. Yaya and Pep have a long history. For first of all, so Ooh. even if did place him on the bench. He did use him in some games. He used him in cup games. He brought him on. As, he used him as a sub in yeah. some games. So, if we're gonna go down that route, fine, you know, so that we can kind of like phase him out and we move on, and he moves on to other things, and you know, to a club where he's much happier, and you know, the the fan base are are much more welcoming, right? Um, yeah. But it has to be done in a respectful manner. It has to be done in a manner that does not have a negative effect on the rest of the team, on our tactics. And if tactically we need him, why are we not using him? It just it did not make any yeah, sense. And I feel like Freddie needs to needs to um, find a way, right? Is it that he finds a way to play without a number ten, or he uses Ozil and then? Um, However way he, he he chooses to phase him out from the from the team, right? But that will only come when mm. you have someone to replace him, to replace his output. Mm. You know, and I'm not talking of output mm. as in not thought output, but output as in keeping possession, um, mm. you know, um, creating chances, you know, um, mm. you know, making people around him, you know. Push forward more, right? As opposed to mm. us just not being able to keep the ball at all. Um, yeah. And um, I think uh, I, I wish Freddie good luck with that. Um, the only one I feel is going to be tricky is going to be the Jaka situation. I think that mm. has decided he will leave in in January, and I think his mind is made up. Um, so yeah. that's one less um, headache for for Freddie Youngberg. Um, but the problem is yeah. who's gonna come, who's gonna replace him in our team because we really do need a senior CM who can give us structure in that midfield. We really do need someone. And if Jack has decided that he's gonna leave in January, he needs to be replaced um, by someone who's experienced, right? We don't even need a young one because we have we do have lots of young ones in our midst. Um, and we will mm. be into the 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 final the 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 half of the season that's that's quite tough so we're, we're going to need uh, some experience there if we if we even have any um, plans of making it all the way to the europa league final right yeah so um i think 
Jornberg is going to have to play by ear, but he's he's going to also have to make sure that his um he his philosophy is not something that can be questioned, and a player mm. out of the team will know the reason why he's out of the team. He's not going to be questioning mm. because why will be sitting in front of him, telling him like he's on the bench and he's he's watching the team play and he's like, okay, you know what? I see why I'm not on that pitch. You get what I mean? Mm. So that way, you know, it's it, the resentment is not going to build. But if you're keeping players off and the team is not playing well and it does look like the team needs that that player skill set, you know, then you, you're going to have issues, right? So keep yeah, it, obviously, let's start winning again, and there won't be complaints from fans. I'm not going to come if we're winning again and um, Ozu is not getting a hundred percent start every week. I'm not going to complain, right? Yeah, you start winning yeah. and winning well, you know, or performing well. Yeah, that we can we can't just wait to see. It seems like a simple thing to ask, but we've not had it for for a while. That it seems it seems like an adverse task, really. So, um, just to close on the Freddie on the on the, the the whole pod as the to, to wrap up the pod actually, um, the the club have the the club hasn't made a commitment to Jumberg, um long term, so he's an interim manager. So everything we're saying now is within the the frame of him being here for a while, while the club is actually actively seeking uh, a replacement um, for for Una Emre. Because the club has also made it known that Jumberg um, is part of their long-term plan. So I think irrespective of what happens, he has a safety net that he's going to remain in the club. Um, but in, in, in finding a new manager, right, what do you think um, the, the, the perspective of the club should be to short-term and long-term um, objectives, finding a manager that suits, that suits Arsenal? What do you think it should be? Okay, well, should I talk from the fans' perspective, right? From the fans' no, perspective, um, we need to see a manager who suits our style of play, who will give you the chance, and who makes coming to match days very interesting. Doesn't matter the results, at least for now, right? But so long as we can see that progress is being made, we're going to back that coach, right? And we hope that the, the club backs the coach in the transfer market as well. Um, mm. But in terms of what I think the club is going to do, it really just depends on what we prioritize. Now, mm. um, looking at the current situation, we may have to have, may, we may have to write off the league in November, literally. Uh, wow. So what does that leave us? It leaves us as Europa. Europa, right? So is the yeah. club going to think, all right, um, do we want to keep Freddie on this job? Do you think Freddie can win us the Europa, right? Do we want to mm. keep Freddie on this job until the end of the season? Can we afford another year out of the Champions League, right? So I think like mm. all of those things will play into the, the final decision that they will make because if we do find ourselves out of the Champions League again next season, 
Mm. I mean, I'm not sure the club will be ready to gamble on a young coach who is idealistic, who is going to build, because they're going to think, uh-oh, we need to get back into the Champions League. And they're going to think, again, yeah. manager who can, you know, get us over that line. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's so hard. To, it's, it, it's so hard, right, to, 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 to know. Um, I wish we can get lucky one time and just have Freddie just take us to our first European title in, in God knows how oh. many. Oh. 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 That's. Oh, I mean, what <laughs> happened to teams like Chelsea? You know, things like that can be good for us too. You, you know, we we can have a coach, yeah, yeah. dynamic coach that will just win a European title for us. You know, I mean, with one. Can That's win. wishful. <laughs> That's wishful thinking. Yeah. I know, but come on, like, oh, wouldn't that just be beautiful? So, 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 obviously, from your previous conversation, you've ruled out. Um, you're not, you're not a big fan of uh, Allegri. Uh, you've, you're not a big fan of Ancelotti as well. So, if you were going to pick a manager, um, who would you pick? I came up with this metric, right? I've always meant to write a blog post on this, um, on the manager selection um, issue, or uh, and. I came up with a metric that I haven't sort of finished working on, but I have this metric that I, that I, that I came up with. And there, there are how many things I have here? I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, about eight items. And I'm gonna put like all the managers mm-hmm. and measure them based on this metric. And then it will guide me as to who I want my Arsenal manager to be. So I'm gonna share it with you now. And you can tell me what percentage you allocate to any of these metrics. So the first one I have is communication. Mm-hmm. The managers should be able to communicate. I'm going to measure him or uh, I'm almost saying him or her, but <laughs> you never I'm going know. To measure. You never know, right? <laughs> I'm going to measure him based on technical ability, experience playing football, connection to Arsenal ability to work in a project, because I think that, that, so it leads to what you said earlier, um, are we in a project um, phase or we're in a phase where we need to, the priorities get into the Champions League. So ability to work in the project, Premier League experience is another metric that I have on my chart, solve current problems within the squad. I have that on my chart as well. And the last one is qualify us for the Champions League. So those are the metrics that I think that the club should use when they are determining who's going to um, become the next Arsenal manager. Are you sure we're not going to get you on the board? <laughs> Me, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'll do a very bad job. <laughs> so if you so if you if you're going to assign percentages to any of this, um, what would you how would you assign it? Okay. Um Where's this, the part where we're solving the problems within the squad? I think that yeah, would be... That's the most important, right? For me, that's the most important. Um, uh, we we have a squad that's individually very talented, but mm. they can't seem to play with each other, right? Mm. We don't have um, partnerships anywhere on the, on the pitch. 
and we're just playing as uh, as like just like strangers, right? So uh, I would like for for the next coach to be able to solve this as a, as a number one priority. Mm, yeah, I think I agree. I agree with that as well because solving that helps us if we have any remote chance of qualifying for the Champions League. I think it's underrated how important um, qualifying for the Champions League um, is yeah. for us now. Now because if you play in the Europa League for three years, you're not a Champions League club anymore. You can't say you're a Champions League. You're Europa. You're a confirmed Europa League club. Absolutely. And it's sad. It's sad. So you're like wolves, right? So you're you're like wolves with a Champions League budget, you no, know, with a Champions League wage wage bill. So you're you're mentally mentally you think you're bigger than what you really are. But the data says this is what you are, and you're spending more than what you should actually be doing in a competition with, with, with resources that are extremely limited by being in a competition that doesn't um, match the mentality that you have for the for the club that you're managing. That's Raul Sanelli's Sanelli his problem because uh, so if, if, if that's a, so so if we're going to close we're going to close on this. Um, Raul writes. If Una Emery is measured by getting us into the Champions League, shouldn't Raul be measured on that as well within the time frame? Because everything he's supposed to do is to take the club forward. If we don't get back in the Champions League, doesn't that indicate some failure at his part or on his part and could cost him his own position? That, that's the way I see it. What do you think? Okay, well, first of all, I'm not sure Arsenal is the type of club that will force Raul out um, in the next, you know, foreseeable future. Because I feel like, you know, being the only football man, uh, well, Edu's just coming, right? But being the only... Uh, we have Meta Saka. I'm sorry? We have Meta Saka as well, so... Well, well, parents got a very defined role, right, which is the academy and to get the academy um, into a position where it can feed into the, mm. the team. Um, I mean, we've got stiff competition because I know Chelsea's got an excellent, excellent um, youth academy and a youth um, talent pool. Um, so that's, that's, that's something for another, um, that's another discussion, I think, entirely. Um, because even if we do have a very good, you know, crop of players who are within the academy or coming through the academy, you know, we're not going to see any dividends from of that until the next, let's say, what five years, where they start to hit their peak. Yeah. Yeah. So for for yeah. time, I, I I'm not sure. I think we can start to um, to judge Parramatta Saka in the next uh, three, four, five years. Uh, let's see what. Yeah. what is coming out of the academy and how successful the ones that are making into the first team now, you know, have uh, mm. uh, been, right? And it depends on how we mm -hmm. measure success as well, you know. is It will be a success, yeah. you know, for example, even though he didn't make it at Arsenal, you know, I personally think he is. He's been a successful academy. I think he is as well. And he's given, he has gotten the club. I think he is. And he's he scored in a Europa Fox final. Million. 
he scored in the European final and he's brought the, the club 40 million. So I, I think that's a successful uh, successful um, candidate, right? A successful player, a graduate. So I think, if, yeah. I think if you get any academy, I think if you get any academy player to play 20 games in a season, it's successful because if you buy someone outside the club and the person plays 20 league games in a season, it's going to cost you money. But yep. if you get someone from an academy who plays at a very good level, 20 games in a season, it's a success, really. And I think because we, we sort of measure success, and it lends to what Pep Guardiola said recently, is we sort of measure success like um, somebody has to be on Messi-Ronaldo level or maybe like a Lewandowski level for the person to be successful. No. The, the, like I, I think it will be is a, a perfect example of a successful academy product. Yeah. Um, even if he yeah. doesn't, does not all academy players will end up finishing their careers at, at, at the club. But if you come into the team, stay three years, play a huge number of games, you save the club money that you would have invested in buying someone to perform that same role. But so he's just successful. I think I think if Bukayo plays 15 games, um, we can count that as a success of the academy. Joe Willock already looks like, like a successful academy project uh, product as well. So that, 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 that's the my take on it. All right. So we've been talking for a very long time. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I didn't envisage it was going to take this long, especially because you had the cough and all. So, but, um, so just, to, just to close, I want to say thank you for, for your time. Thank you for sharing your thoughts with us on the pod. It's also the first time I've had a female um guest on the podcast as well so oh, i'm wow. really appreciating yeah it's the first time so it's good I, I don't know what more amali emmanuel and that's imadili and uh, mastermind <laughs> and Tobia are going to say about this having you on for what's like the most important um <laughs> part, for, um, part for us now since we started recording so thank you very much for coming on i really really oh, appreciate you, your insight yeah, I just got a tweet that, that someone told me. Someone just told me on Twitter. Um, let me see his handle. It says, Release the podcast already. Um, that's Bizzle 025. Nobody has ever told me to release a podcast before. <laughs> so basically, you're having the effect already. So thank you for coming. <laughs> Well, um, well, I hope the people enjoy the podcast. It's my first experience with the podcast. So yeah, thanks for inviting. Mm. <laughs> yeah, sure. So it's just it's just supposed to be a happy place. Thank you very much. Um, best of luck with uh, with everything that you do. And uh, yeah. so, visualize on Twitter. Uh, let me close the way they close it on 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 um, ads blog. How does it close? It says visualize on Twitter. You can give her a follow. She's at hot red. Hot red is at h a w t underscore R-E-D. If you're, not, if you're an Arsenal fan and you're not following her already, I think it's most likely because you, you've you had a fight with her. <laughs> That's the only reason. <laughs> you're not following her. <laughs> All right, thank you for coming then. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers, Priscilla. Oh, cheers. Cheers, Simon. This was fun. <laughs> yeah, it was. Good. We should do, we should do it again. Yeah, we yeah, should. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. All right. So...
Thank you, everybody. Um, so it's a new season for for Arsenal now, and it's it's a Freddy season, I guess. That's what we're going to call it. It's Freddy season till the end of the season. Hmm, that rhymes. And let's see how we go from here. So best of luck to everybody. Hope you have fun. Hope you enjoyed listening to the pod as well. And if you had if you have any comments, you you can just um, mention us on Twitter. We'll try to respond to as much as we we can. Uh, again, thank you to Bisola for coming on. We would have the regular um, guests, uh, Moamali, uh, Ima, and Mastermind, and Toby on the next pod. Uh, have a good day. Uh, up the Arsenal. Wish everybody the best. Cheers. Let it shine.